Just before Barry brings his word, I'll read the scripture from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 23 through to 29, to remind us. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Amen. So I don't normally wear my jacket, so I don't know why I was putting it on. It just caused a problem there. One thing I will share with you before I give you God's word this morning is um, I actually received a personal letter from Rico Tice. And I know it's personal because I can see the indentation uh, of his signature from the previous letter he had written to someone. I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's a letter of blessing. Dear Barry... It's Rico Tice here from central London. Just wanting to thank you very much for your involvement with next Wednesday night's event at the Garrison Theatre. I was really touched to hear that Amesbury Baptist Church are involved and appreciate that you're taking time out of a demanding local ministry to support. Just writing to say that you and the church family at Amesbury Baptist are very much in my prayers. And I'm praying that we will have a super evening together in which many are beckoned to the Lord Jesus. Looking forward to meeting you, your Sincerely, Rico. Not only am I there, but there are several people from the church who are going to be there acting as stewards and counsellors and people there to pray with those that hopefully will come forward to the event. But hopefully you can make it on Wednesday, 7 o'clock at the Garrison Theatre. It's behind the SO Garage in Tidworth. And there's also the Military Wives Choir and the Fijian Methodist Choir. So it's going to be quite an evening. I recently saw an advertisement for a roller coaster in an amusement park. The ad read, two minutes and 15 seconds of the biggest thrill this side of a bungee cord. Such description cannot begin to compare with the Red Sea crossing in Exodus. There are many miracles and wonders in the Bible. Few are as dramatic as this one. One must wonder even what Moses expected or anticipated from this drama. A very quiet and shy minister was visiting a parishioner in a nursing home. He sat opposite her wheelchair and they talked for some time. Finally, as he prepared to leave, she asked him if he would pray for her. Specifically, she asked him to pray that she would walk again. The minister felt a distinct uneasiness inside 
but he obliged. He prayed for her life and for her health and for God's healing power so she could walk again. When he finished praying, there was a strange light in the woman's eyes. Pastor, she said, would you please help me stand up? The minister was stunned at her request, but only could oblige her. So she took his hands and stood up, haltingly at first, but then with growing strength. Soon she was moving her feet, walking, jumping up and down and shouting, attracting the attention of every other resident and staff member in the area. The minister was not sure what to do. He backed out of the room, turned toward the corridor and walked with increasingly haste towards the door. Once outside, he raced to his car, got in, grabbed a tight hold on the steering wheel, looked up to heaven and said, Lord, don't you ever do that to me again. Do you suppose Moses felt something like that as the waters parted at his command? The Red Sea crossing presents a story that is always exciting in the telling and retelling and watching. It has a way of binding us all in its spell. Our 21st century mentality seems to need to explain a miracle. In many ways, we need to explain away a miracle. We seemingly need reasons for the wonder. Ours is an age that seems to need explanations. We cannot merely accept that which defies rational interpretation. We attempt to master the sacred with our minds. In this story, as before, we must remember that the storyteller is preaching. He is giving us a lot more than word pictures about winds blowing water around. In relating the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, the storyteller is preaching. We may ask, what is this message? We learn that journeying with God is an adventure. Around an ecumenical retreat in the West Country, there are many beautiful hiking walks. And ahead of one of those is a signpost. It reads simply, The Great Walk. The trail fits that description precisely. So does the journey of Christian discipleship. Once you put yourself into God's hands, be ready for adventure. That is exactly what Moses did. Moses not only put himself, but a whole nation into the hands of God. The storyteller in Exodus is telling us to look back. And in saying to be God's people is extremely exciting. If you put your hand into the hand of God, be ready for things to happen. But it is possible to miss the adventure, even when you are right in the middle of it. But the adventure is real. It is sure. In part, adventure is what caused the Bible to be written. The Bible is the written record of God's active accompaniment of God's people. The promise is sure. More adventures, 
lie ahead, always. The, the storyteller also proclaims this event as a central act of God in history. Regardless of the specific details, this is a major decisive event in God's overview of history. The story of the Red Sea crossing is to the Hebrew scriptures what the story of Easter is to the New Testament. The climatic Easter event gives rise to the genuine mystery and abiding wonder. Easter is the definitive saving event of the New Testament. The barrier of death is broken. All of the reminder of the gospel story now makes sense. Similarly, the Red Sea crossing is an event cloaked with mystery and abiding wonder. It is the story of the deliverance of a people out of bondage. The Exodus is the single event upon which the rest of the Hebrew Bible is built. We don't know with objective accuracy what happened at the Red Sea in the 13th century BC. We only know that an abiding covenant was the result. God promised to be faithful to a people for all time. The storyteller also proclaims that we are always held in God's hand. Life is not without pain or suffering or even dying. Life is not without setbacks or doubts or uncertainty. All of these things are part of living. They did not happen as part of God's plan, but they are parts of living on this planet. The message is steadfast and consistent. When the enemy is chasing us, the enemy of death, of pain, hurt or disappointment, and when the churning unknown lies before us like a vast ocean, family, health, financial stability, God is still with us. We have a sign that God is faithful and present. Life is not without setbacks, without doubt or uncertainty. Such issues are part of living. But God remains close to us with each and every situation. Specifically in the Exodus story, God will be with us even when the enemy is in hot pursuit. And when the future looks bleak, God will sustain us, uphold us, and then graciously receive us at the end of our journey. Within several weeks after leaving Egypt, the people were murmuring and muttering against Moses on several accounts. Some people love to murmur in church. Do you know anyone who murmurs? The people murmured against Moses. Moses must have had a difficult time with all of it. Surely it was not easy keeping this motley crew as they proceeded to wander through the wilderness. Probably felt like trying to keep up a lot of balls in the air all at one particular time. I once heard that life is like a chicken trying to lay an egg on an escalator. Just as she settles in, the bottom drops out. Moses must have known that feeling. 
The first few weeks in the desert were simply awful. The providing nature of God permeates the biblical narratives. The Israelites complained against Moses when the Egyptians were chasing them. They complained when they were thirsty. And they complained when they were hungry. Certainly this incident reflects thick-headedness and hard-heartedness on the, on the part of the people. <clears throat> they would simply not trust Moses to be leading by God's will in this matter. They had crossed the Red Sea on dry land and seen the Egyptian army drown in the sea, yet they did not understand. I can imagine that Moses turned to God in prayer He prayed not in frustration with God, but in frustration with the people's commitment and complaint. He might have prayed something like this. Oh Lord, what shall I do? How do I handle this situation? I have run out of ideas. Most of us have prayed a prayer like that sometime in our lives. Oh Lord, what do I do now? God responded to Moses. God would act. But God said that action would come in a very special way. God would act and both feed the people and teach them something about the meaning of discipleship. Here in the story of Moses from 3,300 years ago, we have an episode in which God tries to form disciples. Thus we come to the story of the manna. What was this manna? Our storyteller tells us that it was a fine flaky substance and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses told the people sternly, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. An American friend once offered his own guess. He said that manna was an ancient form of grits. Both were described as fine, flaky, and both were absolutely no good as leftovers. But there was a catch in this wondrous gift from God. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather as much of it as each of your needs. An omer to a person according to the number of persons in your tent. Gather as much as you will need for each person in your household. That was the divine command. There was to be no greed, no hoarding. If one person was stronger than the other, he or she was not to collect more based on their strength or consumption. Each person was to collect an omer for each member of a family. An omer was about two to three liters of liquid, or if it was dry food, about nine cupfuls. Some of you will remember the periods of rationing during the days of World War II, or perhaps the rationing of fuel. But rationing is actually a biblical notion. We are becoming aware that unnecessarily accumulation through power 
and of greed clearly means serious deprivation for others. The earth supplies an abundance of enough for each of its inhabitants. But there's no overabundance for some without major life-threatening shortages for others. The Israelites, of course, did not always comply with this restriction. Some of them took more than they needed and tried to store it for the next day in case there was no manna on that day. But overnight, the manna became foul and rotted. It did not last. The people were forced to learn to trust in the providence of God. God, through Moses, was training them to trust day by day, morning by morning. So what is the message in this? That food will be always available, perhaps? But surely there is a greater message. The story tells us that the only enduring value in life is faith in God and trust in God. For this reason of trust, Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Some people have tried to reword it as give us this day enough bread for tomorrow. But I'm convinced that such rendering destroy the original intent of the prayer. The disciple is to petition God each day for that day's provisions. And tomorrow we, we, we petition God for tomorrow's provisions. The story concludes when the people create a symbol of God's trustworthiness. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Here is a jar of manna to be a symbol on the altar of the Lord for all the years to come. When the children of the Israelites asked, what does that jar mean? They were told the story of how God provides. What symbol works today so that when our children ask, what does that figure on the altar mean? We may simply respond, it is a sign that God is faithful. God provides enough for all. If we can conquer greed, and if we can learn to live more simply, and if we can learn to trust, there will be an abundance of enough for all God's children, day by day, morning by morning, throughout the journey of our lives. The wandering nation of people needed a designated space for worship. They were God's people. They wanted to honor God with an appropriate setting for community worship. Something must be created that would reverence God, provide adequate sacred space, and yet be portable for the unknown wanderings ahead. A worthy tabernacle would also be made of quality products, jewels and other precious stones, durable hardwoods, 
fine linens. Where would such valuables be found? Moses decided to receive an offering. The call went out for voluntary gifts. The people responded enthusiastically. Gifts came pouring in. The size and number of the gifts suddenly seemed to overwhelm the project managers. They went to Moses with an unusual request. Tell the people to stop giving. We have enough to do the job. We have more than enough. It was as though they were saying. Moses listened to the artisan's story. Then he went to the people with a stunning proclamation. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. In effect, Moses was saying, stop bringing your offerings. What becomes important is the why of the story. Why did the people respond so completely and so generously? What was the amazing secret of the offering? We can learn from what happened in this desert offering more than three millennia ago. First, this seems to be a love, a great love for the holy place. Translated into our time, great love for the church. Whatever else may be in doubt, people seem to have an innate God-given love for the holy place. I do for this place, and I know that many of you do as well. A great love for the church thrived in the desert, in the hearts of the Hebrew people. They found joy in giving, and they knew God had a serious claim on their lives. They knew an innate durability in the holy place. The ancient Hebrews gave abundantly, generously, because they knew they were investing in something that would last. Secondly, the story suggests that the trust level was very high. We're now in chapter 35 and 36. Integrity was in place. Through a multitude of experiences, confidence had grown. The God of Moses was clearly among them. Integrity is very important to the church. Integrity was present in the desert, thus resources came in abundance. Third, the capacity to give was present. Who would have believed that wandering nomads in the desert could make such an offering? Perhaps they had plundered the Egyptians before leaving. Maybe they had collected some precious valuables along the way. The point is this, though. Their capacity to give was greater than they knew, but Moses knew. You know, today we sometimes cry poor. We have cried poor for so long that we have talked ourselves into believing that we are poor. The capacity to give is present for most people. Very few congregations are wealthy. A great teacher of stewardship once said, not one church in a hundred has any real notion of its power. Fourth, the offering was a free will offering. 
The storyteller makes that abundantly clear. Key phrases are used throughout. Consider all the phrases in one short story, some of them used several times. Everyone whose heart was stirred. Everyone whose spirit was willing, a willing heart. Everyone whose hearts made them willing, a free will offering to the Lord. Paul writes, each one of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. His words form the foundation of what happens to us and what happened in the desert long ago. Authentic believer giving is not a tax or tax deduction. Neither it is Jews or some legalism. Giving is not what I owe my church. Giving is not a safe passage to heaven either. Giving is a freely offered response to the goodness of God in your life and my life. Giving among the community of believers has a whole different standard from the world. Benjamin Franklin offers a valuable testimony in his autobiography. His witness demonstrates the power of good growth in giving. In the setting, Franklin is listening to the preaching of George Whitfield. He says, During the sermon, I perceived the intended... Sorry, during the sermon, I, I perceived he intended to finish with a collection. And I silently resolved that he would get nothing from me. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistols in gold. As, I, as he proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give him the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined to give him silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and all. Is this not one clear picture of the way God works? A rustling in the heart? Is this not a graphic illustration of our storyteller when he says the heart of the people was stirred? Finally, the story proclaims this important truth. There is enough to do what God wants us to do. Notice those words come from the artisans, the craftsmen. These are not the words of Moses. Moses was a learner in this situation. Someone once said their favorite phrase is abundance of enough. That is the nature of God's blessing. God does not always give us everything we want, but God gives us everything we need. Probably not with a cushion, probably not with a surplus. But God will supply an abundance of enough. 
the maternal principles are at work in this story. We hear a simple promise from the altar of faith. If we stand on the promise and use theologically approved methods, the gifts will be present. But I want you this morning to focus on God does not always give us everything we want, but God does give us everything we need.